Um, so we're currently working our way through a series we're calling uh, Dynamic Duos in the Bible. We're exploring several different dynamic duos in the Bible, and there's actually quite a few of them. Um, each week, Pastor Chuck and Pastor Brian have had a chance to share what they think they're, like, the greatest dynamic duos in the history of the world might be, and I feel like today it's my turn. And I'd like to share with you my top five greatest of all time dynamic duos. Are you ready? Number five. You guys got a little too excited about that. <laughs> the Property Brothers, of course. What a great dynamic duo. Uh, number four. Anyone? Any Chris Farley, David Spade fans in the house? That's what I thought. Uh, number three. Do we have any psych fans in the room? That's what I thought. Great dynamic duo. One of my favorite shows of all time. And now, number two, before it goes on the screen, this isn't maybe my favorite, but this is a handout to some of you. You'll know who you are when you see it. Number two. Ah, uh, I know. Ah. Uh. All right, now, number one. This is, an, uh, this is an open challenge. If you can find a better dynamic duo than this one, shoot me a text, email me, put it on, like, the TFRC Facebook page or something like that. But this is, in my opinion, the greatest dynamic duo of all time. Consider that an open challenge. You know, one of the things we've been trying to uncover in this series is just what is it about dynamic duos that make them so compelling to us? You know, in other words, what is the secret spice of the dynamic duo that makes it work for them? What is it about some dynamic duos that make them so incredibly effective together? And why is it that there are those dynamic duos out there that we see on the screen or in other places and it actually kind of makes us wish we were one of them, right? We've probably all had that experience. And to a certain extent, I think our love for the dynamic duo reveals in each of us some kind of deep longing for friendship. That when we see a deep friendship like a dynamic duo, we say, man, I wish I had something like that. And so this morning, we're going to be diving into one of our next uh, biblical dynamic duos, and that dynamic duo is found in the Exodus story. Uh, this morning's dynamic duo is Moses and Aaron, and our script reading this morning is found in Exodus 6, 28 through 7, 7. If you have a Bible on you, go ahead and open up to that spot, um, and you can follow along in your Bible if you'd like to. Um, our scripture reader this morning is Caitlin Bomber. Caitlin, you can head on up when you're ready. And what we do here is we stand and we face the center of the room where scripture is read, if you're able to. And the reason we do so is because it constantly affirms to us week after week that scripture truly is central to our lives as followers of Jesus. So go ahead, Caitlin, when you're ready. Now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. 
Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Thank you, Caitlin. You may be seated. So in the story of the Bible, there's a couple events that make such a big splash and impact on the people of God in the Bible that the authors and books of the Bible after these events, they, they constantly refer back to these really huge events that happened. And, and I would argue, aside from the story of Jesus, the story of the Exodus is probably the most important story in the Bible. If you want to understand the Bible, what it's all about and where it's headed, you've got to read the Exodus story. The story of the Exodus, it literally shaped the way that the Hebrew people saw themselves. And it shaped the way that they saw the world around them. And it shaped even the way that they saw their God in new ways that they never had before. Even up to this very day with modern Jews, it's still that important of a story. And at the very center of this pivotal story is one man, Moses. And we know Moses and we like Moses. And often when we hear about the story of the Exodus, we're hearing stories of Moses, right? When Moses goes and Moses confronts Pharaoh. And then Moses goes and he splits the Red Sea. And Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and receives God's law, the Ten Commandments. And these are really big stories. And that's because Moses was actually a part of all of those stories. That's why we continually go back to Moses. But Moses wasn't the only leader of the Hebrew people at this time period. In fact, there was more. The Hebrew people were not just given Moses to lead, but in fact, the Hebrew people were given two people to lead during this time, to tend to God's people to, as they kind of head off and they leave Egypt and they go 40 years in the desert and then they go all the way up to the promised land. There's actually two. You maybe could even argue three. And the other leader was Aaron, Moses' brother. In fact, in the Exodus story, Moses and Aaron are mentioned together an awful lot. It's really interesting. I just put a couple examples that we'll read on the screen in a second. Look at this. It's from Exodus 6.13. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And then in 6.26 in the book of Exodus, it was this Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. And this theme of the two being referenced as some kind of dynamic duo leadership team is repeated again and again and again all throughout the Exodus story and in fact even beyond it. And in fact, what's really interesting is that just as Moses and Aaron led the Hebrew people out of Egypt toward the land that God promised them, you know, we've probably, most of us heard the story, Moses never makes it to the promised land. And we weep over that. It's said it's a really powerful um, part of the narrative in the Exodus story. But it's not just Moses that's barred from entering the promised land. It's actually Moses and Aaron who are barred from entering the promised land. If you want to find that story, write this, this scripture passage down. It's Numbers 20, 23 through 29, and it's a fascinating read if you have time for it. So Moses and Aaron, 
lead the Hebrew people out of Egypt and into the desert and then up to the border of the promised land. And, and they accomplish a lot as this dynamic duo leadership team. And there's a lot that I think we can learn from them about our faith and about community and about friendship all along the way. And so there's a couple things I'd like to zoom in on this morning for us. There's three elements I'd like us to think about. Uh, there's a scientific element a theological element, and then a gospel element. And we'll start with the scientific element this morning. Now, before I get rolling here, I am not a science person at all. Not even four minutes. I am a pastor, meaning I am almost okay at doing like a couple things. Science is not one of them. And so I am pretty sure that I'm going to get something wrong when I speak up here about science. And all of you biologists in the room, please don't, you know, email me angry emails or something like that. Now, moving on from that, there is a phenomenon um, seen in the wild where two species of animals that maybe don't look alike at all, maybe don't act alike at all, or are maybe actually in competition with each other, where, where they, these two separate species begin working together to do some common cause for the betterment of both of them. That phenomenon is called symbiosis. Somebody told me in the last service, yeah, I learned that in fifth grade. Well, I learned that this week, so. Uh, there's a formal definition on the screen if you want to see what symbiosis is. And it, with symbiosis, there's a couple different ways that it looks in kind of the animal world. And there's this one specific way that I find um, really relevant to our uh, topic this morning, and that is called mutualism. And mutualism is the term used when two organisms begin working together, and by them working together, it actually benefits both parties. It makes both of them better. Now, I have a recent example of this. Wildlife biologists in the last couple of years have recently, they've been in Israel and they've discovered something interesting about Israel. You see the picture on the screen of a gray wolf and a hyena. And they both, uh, the gray wolves, they kind of run around in packs. Hyenas usually kind of do things on their own. And what they've seen is hyenas and gray wolves in hunting packs together in the same pack which kind of blew wildlife biologists' minds. Both the hyenas and the gray wolves have recently been witnessed working together in the Negev desert in Israel to hunt. And I think what's interesting about this is that gray wolves are not terribly friendly to other carnivores in the area. And it, the flip is true as well. Hyenas don't like them either. They are in competition with each other. They often don't like each other. They want their spot in the food chain. Yet, gray wolves and hyenas have been spotted together hunting in the same packs together. And as wild biologists have tried to parse out why this is, their hypothesis, at least at this point, is that while gray wolves are great hunters, and they're incredibly fast, and they can take down these really large animals, they're missing a couple things. And hyenas are actually the thing that fulfills the things they're missing. Hyenas complement the pack with a, a, a superior sense of smell. They can smell an animal or food from miles away even. And hyenas also have a stronger jaw. And so they can break apart bones and get the marrow and the nutrients out of things in ways that the wolves simply cannot do. And what wildlife biologists have discovered is that the gray wolves and the hyenas have begun hunting together. And as they've hunted together, they've become a much more formidable pack together. 
They are great at hunting together. It's called mutualistic symbiosis. And I think this is a great description of the relationship between our dynamic duo, Moses and Aaron, in the Exodus story. They fulfill each other's weaknesses and blind spots as the leaders of the Hebrew people. And in so doing, they become this incredibly effective leadership team all together. Our scripture reading this morning is actually a great example of this kind of mutualistic symbiosis between Aaron and Moses. Because God comes to Moses and, and God says, hey Moses, uh, Pharaoh is doing terrible things to my people. Pharaoh is actually enslaving my people. And Moses, hey, I want you to do something about that because God is not a big fan of people enslaving other people. And so God says, hey, Moses, go to Pharaoh. You're going to speak on my behalf to free my people and then to lead them out of Egypt toward a land of plenty, towards something better than what it currently is now. But Moses just didn't have the tools to actually do what God called him to do. And I love how Moses replies. That's what he says in Exodus 6.30. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? I love that for one reason, and that is no one that speaks poorly would use the term faltering lips. At least I wouldn't. So I think that's interesting. But Moses basically says, hey, uh, God, um, I don't speak so good. So I probably can't do this job. And God says, no, find your brother Aaron who does speak well and then tag him along and you guys can do this thing together. And Aaron, Aaron has the silver tongue and Aaron speaks very well. And so Moses takes on this unique role as this listening um, agent and listening to God and listens for God's words. And then Aaron takes the role of orator and he takes those words and he speaks them out to the people appropriate, Pharaoh, pretty much exclusively. Moses with his strong listening ear to God and Aaron with his strong communication skills work together to pursue God's plan. And as a team, they find success, working off of each other's strengths. It's, it's mutualistic symbiosis. And in fact, as you, if, if you look at the whole scope of the scriptures, the whole Bible, you see this symbiosis thing all over the Bible. And I think that's because God created us to live lives of mutualistic symbiosis. God created us in, you know, layman's terms to complement each other. In fact, God created us in such a way that we cannot function the way God intends us to without one another, without the dynamic duo, without the dynamic community, using all of our strengths and weaknesses together and making something better, more formidable, like a pack of wolves and hyenas. In fact, the very first story in the Bible, when we meet the very first people in the Bible, it's a story about the complementarity of people, mutualistic symbiosis among humans. It's the story of Adam and Eve, and most of us have heard the story. So God creates Adam, places him in the garden, gives him the job of tending the garden, tending God's good creation. And then listen to this from uh, Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so God puts Adam in the garden, instructs him to work and take care of the garden, and then sets boundaries about how this work is to be done in the garden. And then God pauses and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Verse 18, I will make a helper suitable for him. Adam, you can't do this job alone. It's not how I designed you. It's there's two words in there, suitable and helper. And these are really big words in the Bible. These are really important, influential words in the Bible. The Hebrew words for both of these words, um, one uh, for helper is the, the Hebrew word ezer. And then for the word suitable, the, the actual, the Hebrew word is negdo. And Ezer, we, we translate it as helper in English, but it's bigger than helper. And Ezer is literally someone who shares a vocation with someone, but is mutually dependent on that someone to fulfill that vocation. Meaning we need each other to do this thing. And then the other Hebrew word, negdo, we translate it as suitable, but it's bigger than that. It's that this person is exactly what you need to get the job done. Maybe not more than that, but exactly what you need to get the job done. And you see, with Moses and Aaron and even Adam and Eve, what we find is that, God and that uh, we can only fulfill God's call by working together. It's the only way. And that means that we need each other. It's the only way. God created us to be mutually dependent on each other to fulfill what God calls us to. Or to be sciencey, if we want to use science, right? God created us to function in, with, in mutualistic symbiosis. We were created to work together to fulfill God's call and to complement each other. And that's the only way to fulfill God's call. Now, I really want us to think about this for a minute this morning. Because if we're honest and we take a hard look at our lives, how much emphasis do we really put on the people around us for our faith journey? How much? How much emphasis do we put on our family and our friends and our church and our fellow followers of Jesus and our faith formation and our growing in our faith? How much emphasis do we really put on that? How much time do we really put into that? Because scripture is pretty clear that the only way to fulfill the call that God has for each of us is to do it together as a team as a dynamic duo or a dynamic community. Yet I'm not sure we just place the emphasis on others for our faith. I'm not sure we do. Look, perhaps you're in one of those seasons right now where spiritually speaking, you're kind of in a season of stagnancy where you really haven't seen yourself grow in your faith or take steps towards God or whatever it may be. Perhaps you're in a season where, you know, you just, the, the spiritual wheels are spinning in your life and your faith isn't growing and you're not praying like you wanted to and you're not in God's word like you wanted to. The first question I would ask, am I trying to do this faith thing alone? Am I? Or am I pursuing my faith on a team? Am I trying to do this thing together? Because it makes all the difference. 
Now, I want to move on from our scientific element here of mutualistic symbiosis to a theological one, a theological element of the Moses and Aaron dynamic duo. Because yes, they worked together and they filled gaps in each other's lives and they accounted for each other's weaknesses with their skills and their abilities, but they did so to fulfill God's call on their lives. And God's call for Moses and Aaron is pretty spectacular. It's a really cool story. You know, I've read this story many times. I never caught this from Exodus 7.1. Listen to this one verse. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. I have read this passage, I don't know how many times, and I've never caught that one line. See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. Like God? Like God to Pharaoh? In fact, I, this week I went and I looked in the Hebrew just to see, well, what exactly literally does that say? Like, what, is it, what, what does it say? And literally speaking, if you were to translate this word for word, literally, see, I have made you God to Pharaoh. Maybe that makes some of us a little uncomfortable. I don't know. Somehow, if Moses does what the Lord says, Moses will become God in the eyes of Pharaoh. And before we get all upset and all too comfortable, just hold on, because I don't think this implies that Moses will suddenly become a deity. Moses will become a God, will become a literal God in the world. I think it's more nuanced and more interesting than that in the Bible. You see, when Moses goes off and pursues exactly what God commands of him, somehow in the eyes of Pharaoh, Pharaoh meets God. You get that? Pharaoh meets God. You see, when we pursue the call of Jesus in our lives, just as Jesus commands us to, the people in our lives that we meet and we have family with and we have friendships with and they, we work with, all of those people, those people meet Jesus when they meet us. And you see, for Moses in the Exodus story, the only way that Moses could fulfill what God called him to do was on a team. It was with Aaron. You see what I'm getting at? When we pursue God, when we pursue God's call on our lives, and, and we pursue God's commands, and we listen to God, people meet God. And the only way that they actually get to do that meeting of God thing is if we do it together. That's how it works. Meaning the way that people in this world meet Jesus is through followers of Jesus working together to fulfill God's call. That's how the world gets to meet Jesus these days. And when the church does this, the church becomes the literal hands and feet of Jesus in the world and people get to meet him. We are called to be the living Jesus in the world. And I think it's somewhat shocking in our time and day in our culture that the only way that we can become the body of Jesus is through the dynamic duo. I want to do it myself. No, no, no. It's through community, through many parts, through many people with many gifts and personalities and skill sets and passions, all working together and mysteriously somehow when that thing happens, Jesus shows up and people meet Jesus. And you know what that means. It means that for me to pursue my call, 
of, of having people meet Jesus through me, I need you. I need you. And it means that you hopefully need me. You know, just take a moment a second and look around the room. Just do it. Just take a quick look around the room. Maybe take a moment and look at your family. If you're here with family, look at your family. Make awkward eye contact. That's the best. Look at the people you don't know around the room. The people in this room, we, we need each other. We need each other. For the world to meet Jesus through us, we need each other in this room. Now, there is a problem with this, however. And the problem is that in order to be Jesus in the world, right, we have to do it together. And the problem with together is that, well, together is really hard, I think. Together is not all that easy. There are a handful of people, in, even in this space, probably this morning, that I'm not sure I'd really want to, you know, follow Jesus with. You know, I'm not sure that that's what I want to do. There are those people that just rub me the wrong way. Perhaps that's you too. And there's that one guy that I talked to that doesn't know when to end the conversation, just keeps going on and on and on. And maybe you know somebody like that too. And I don't know if I want to pursue Jesus with that kind of person. And then there's those other people. There's those people that have actually hurt me. And there's those people that have slandered me. And there's those people that have been dishonest toward me and lied about me. There's those kind of people too. And I'm not sure I want to really follow Jesus, pursue Jesus, be Jesus to the world with those people either. Pursuing God's call on our lives together is complicated, isn't it? And it's because we're complicated. People are complicated. And people betray each other. And people have difficult personality flaws and character flaws that make this dynamic duo or dynamic community thing really difficult to do. And Moses and Aaron, in the story, they experienced a whole lot of this. They both have stories of betraying each other. I mean, look at the story of the golden calf. Maybe you remember that story. You know, Moses, he goes up, he goes up to Mount Sinai and he meets with God to receive the law, the Ten Commandments, all that really cool stuff. And then he heads back down and he hears this weird celebration in the city and he, or in the camp and he goes down and he sees that his people, the Hebrew people, they have this golden calf. And then, and then he goes and he talks to Aaron and listen to this from Exodus 32. He said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and then out came this calf. It's a crazy story. Aaron, in the story of the golden calf, lets Moses down not once, but two times in like four verses of scripture. He, he is a co-leader with Moses, and so he takes on the mantle of leader alone while Moses goes off, and then he completely lets Moses down, and then the whole place falls into idol worship. And then to make it worse, Moses says, what in the world are you doing? Why do you have this idol around? What's going on? And he says, you know, I don't know. The idol just popped out of the fire, I guess, which is a lie. 
Yet despite the betrayal and the backstabbing and the failure and the lying, they remain united as a dynamic duo through pretty much the whole Exodus story. And I think it's because they understood something about life that we don't understand anymore today. And this leads us to our, our final element this morning, the gospel element. Moses and Aaron understood something about the character of God that gave them the power to truly stick together through the thick and through the thin, through betrayal, through all the worst. And I think the best place to see this characteristic of God is, in, is later in the Bible in the story of Jesus. It's the original incarnation. It's when Jesus really did come to this earth. You see, the gospel story, the story of Jesus, is a story of, uh, of a God who came into the world because that world was broken. And then God in Jesus saw this broken world with broken, sinful people in it and said, you know what? These broken, sinful people are still valuable. They still have worth to me. They are redeemable despite their brokenness and their backstabbing and their annoying habits and their ungodliness. And but what we have to realize each one of us individually is that the story of the gospel isn't about some other people 2,000 years ago. It's not about this one thing that happened 2,000 years ago. It's just as much about what happened then as what's going on today. The gospel applies today, perhaps more. If we're honest with ourselves, we are broken, we are backstabbing people. And we have those repeated, repeated destructive habits relationally and all other ways as well. We, some of us are addicts and we've been addicted to this thing for so long and we just can't kick it. And we have turned on God, all of us, again and again and again in our lives. And if you say, no, I haven't, I think you're lying. I do. And yet, despite this, God chooses to move near us. And I love God how the Apostle Paul reflects on it later uh, in Philippians 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, therefore, if you really understand what being one with Christ is all about, if you really understand what the cross says about God's attitude toward you, even though you're not the person that you probably should be, therefore, and then... Paul goes on and says, once you get this whole Jesus thing, that you are united to Jesus, that you are one with Jesus, then you go back to your Christian community. You go back to your faith community and you will see that community come together. And then suddenly Jesus will be made alive in this world again. And people will meet Jesus through the church. And one day, when the church does this, Jesus will become known in this world in a way perhaps yesterday Jesus wasn't. And then one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. You see, the gospel is all about allowing Jesus to fill the gaps in us. It's about being honest, making up for our mistakes and our shortcomings and our weaknesses. And when we truly get this, we'll gain the power to fill the gaps in others. We will. Making up for their mistakes and their shortcomings and their weaknesses. And when that happens, Jesus 
will become known in us. People will meet Jesus when they meet us. Do you want that? See, I think the secret spice to the dynamic duo of Aaron and Moses, well, the secret spice is the gospel. They got something about the character of God. That God loves them and God loves everyone else too. And if God can love you, then you can love others. It's the gospel. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the good news of Jesus. God, that you saw us worthy enough to come into this messy world and to start making it straight again and to start forgiving sins. God, we so thank you for that. God, somehow help us to see all the sin inside of us, God. And God, we ask that your good news enters all of that sin in our lives. And as that happens, we become more and more transformed, God. And as we do that together, God, we just long for the day that we come together as a church and then as a church, people get to meet you. And man, does the world need it, God. Help us do that. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, receive this blessing. This blessing is from Psalm 67. I think it's so appropriate for us on a day like today. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be, may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. And we ask that God do that through us this week. Amen.